Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to OCA's Asia Town Voice. We're an hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides you with an inside look at the Asian American and Pacific Islander Americans community, culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Yin Tang, also known as DJ Bossy Lady. I just want to give a shout-out and thank you to Johnny Wu, the ghost host, for letting us use his studio and recording equipment to uh, put on the show. And a shout-out to WJCU for uh, letting Asia Town Voice be um, find their home on their station, 88.7 FM. So, tonight we have a special guest, Juan uh, Loy Powell. And I believe that in Vietnamese you pronounce your name Oin? Right, that's correct. But so it's a you... lot easier to say Juan and to American, so we kept it that way. Perfect. And for the audience, can you spell it for us, for it's, the people? It's O-A-N-H. Wonderful. Um, so you're with the Vietnamese community, and uh, it seems, I, I didn't know there was one up until a couple years ago. Can you give us, like, some background? Um, do you have, like, a headquarters anywhere? Um, we don't have a headquarter. There's a huge Vietnamese population on the west side of, of Cleveland, more so than the east side. Um, they're very active, um, putting on shows, um, putting on activities for the youngs in the community, and celebrating special holidays and events. Um, also do a lot of charity work in the area, mostly in the west side. Um, so it's mostly a, an insular uh, culture. We do a lot of things within the community, but we're trying to branch out and, and getting connected to, with the rest of the Cleveland community right now. So are you, um, is there like an official committee, and are you on that board? I am not on the, any of the committee of the community, Vietnamese community organization. I am uh, the vice president of the Vietnamese Cultural Garden, which is okay. a separate entity. where um, Our focus is on making the cultural garden uh, a reality, and we have a plot of land um, given to us as, um, by the city of Cleveland. Um, just recently, last year, it was designated for the Vietnamese Cultural Garden, so we're in the process of designing, getting something in place, um, and so that's the organization that I'm with. Wonderful. And if I remember correctly, if you're headed Route 2 East, you get off on Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Boulevard. You're 90. Right. You're on 90. 90. Right. 90. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on the left-hand side, right? It's, it's, about, like, it's literally what? one of the first gardens that you um, um, get to if you're approaching it from the north, right off the shoreway. Um, the Albanian Garden is first, and you'll see um, a, a statue of Mother Teresa and so that and then the next plot which is empty right now is um, the Vietnamese Cultural Garden and right after that is the Armenia Garden so we're one of the first gardens that you see when you get off the highway and it's uh, across from the Russian Garden right yes yes that should be breaking ground soon in the next few months so we're excited to see that I know this is this is so exciting the gar gardens are coming back this yeah. is like and there's so there's so many cool uh, monuments there, and there's a lot of like if you I know the Serbian one. If you walk around, there's like little plaques and stories. Um, the Italian one too, so oh, it's, it's right. pretty amazing. Right, <laughs> gorgeous. It's beautiful area, and I just love driving through the area. No matter what the season, it is just beautiful to look at. And you know, it's great exercise too. If you want to take a tour of the gardens, it's about what. Three miles, three to miles end to end. Yes, but it it's, uh, spans 250 acres, so it's huge, and it's um, green space in the middle of downtown, so it's wonderful. And it's almost like a chain link because it kind of crisscrosses across from East Boulevard, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So speaking of the Vietnamese Garden and the Vietnamese community, um, you mentioned an event that's that's taking place. Can you tell us a little more about it? Well, we are um, in the phase of fundraising for for our garden, um, but at the same time, we want to celebrate the new year, which in Vietnamese is date. Um, so our event is on February 20th. We are um, offering um, Taste of Asia, which is more than 21 dishes, but right now our tagline is 21 Dish Delight, but there are more than 21 dishes. Um, it's an event, um, starts at 5 o'clock at Saigon Plaza, which is located at 5400 Detroit Avenue in Cleveland. Um, and it starts at 5 o'clock with uh, cocktail hours. Um, our dinner starts around 6.30. 
with entertainment um, and, and all the food. And then we also have a cash bar. So we hope everybody come and support us for that. For the entertainment, um, wow. we have a fashion show of all the traditional clothes from Vietnam. And, of course, women are known for wearing their auzai. And then my daughter is actually playing a violin. So that's the first time she'll play for the Vietnamese community. So that'll be interesting to see. So. Is she going to be playing a traditional song or is she doing she, something else? She's doing... Um, well, depending on time, but I know she is playing bits and pieces of the but Butterfly Lover Concerto by herself, though, by herself. So she won't Aww. have the whole ensemble behind her. So she'll just play the solo part, and then she'll probably play a Vivaldi or something. Oh, that's nice. After that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know um, the Butterfly Lover's Concerto, uh, in my understanding, was based off of a really old Chinese story. Yes. I don't know yes. if the song came first or the story came first. The story so, came first, yeah. The story came first? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if the story was prevalent in all of Asia, or was it just mostly? Uh, we grew up with that. We grew up with that mm -hmm. story as part of the, our legends and lore. So it may be very similar to to all of Asian cultures. Um, you know, with the the two lovers, sort of like the the Chinese um, Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful um, story. Well, sort of. Except the girl cross-dressed and <laughs> ran away. Right. <laughs> so it's like Mulan, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, cross, star-crossed lovers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess for the listeners, I, I, I'm going to do a quick recap mm -hmm. of the story. Um, there's two characters. Yang Shanbo is the um, boy, um, and Zhu Yingtai is the girl. And they both came from well-to-do families. Now, the girl, Zhu Yingtai, didn't want to grow up, you know, following the traditional route of getting married and having children. She wanted to go out in the world and explore, and she wanted to become a scholar and learn to read and write and all the ancient scriptures. So she dressed up like a boy and ran away. And along her adventure, she met this young man, Yang Shanbo, who is, you know, a real boy and wanted to go on adventures as well. So they developed a really solid friendship over the time. And, you know, as the years passed and she needed to go back home for family matters, they, they you know, puttered their ways. And there's two versions. One version is he missed her, thinking she's still a boy and went to go visit. And another version was that pretending to be a boy, he promised the hand of his little sister to her best friend to be marriage, and it turned out to be her. So, yes, that's the butterfly lover well, story. Yeah, the, the version that I know is that she, she was caught, she, she's dressed as a boy, but how other people started to see her as a girl is when she, when other um, people's uniforms or whatever was coming apart, she would sew it for them. And then she would have to pretend to sew it in a manly way. But one day, she bit the thread off the, the needle using her teeth, which is a very feminine way of sewing. And people saw that and started realizing, hey, she's a girl. So that's oh, how she was caught. I never heard that version. Yeah, she was sewing. Oh, wow. <laughs> which is See, not a manly that. thing to do. I, right. I pulled the thread <laughs> off with my teeth, too. Right, right, um, yeah. And there's actually a really sad ending to the story, too, because when he did go to find her, um, whether it's the story about the little sister or the story of him returning to see his friend to discover she's actually a girl, uh, she was already betrothed to another man, and they couldn't break that engagement, so he went and took some lowly government office and died of heartache. Mm -hmm. So it says that on her wedding day, as she, as her barge was um, floating down the river, it passed by his grave and the earth cracked open and she threw herself in there and two butterflies emerged. Right. And that's the story that's of the butterflies. butterflies. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Which, I don't know, it's kind of tragic, but... <laughs> <laughs> so it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. true. Some of the best stories ever <laughs> really, really are tragedies. Um I sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, it says on, on the notes here that you um, have a couple accomplishments in the community that you would like to talk about. Um, what would that be? <laughs> I don't know, Johnny. <laughs> I don't know what accomplishment. Right. <laughs> this is Johnny's notes. I'm assuming, huh? Yes, these are Johnny's notes. Oh, and he kind of bowed out. That's okay. Uh, Ghost host says he well, has. Well, a yeah, we'll, we'll find out what that what he had in mind. <laughs> Actually, I remember a couple of years ago, it was just a casual conversation, mm -hmm. and I honestly can't remember your story from beginning to end, but I know it involved a jar of snake wine. Oh, my gosh. That's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's more of an antidote. Um, we, oh. I took a trip back to Vietnam back in 2010, and part of the things we, you know, in North Vietnam, I was in Hanoi at the time, and my cousin um, was, he knew some people who, who had snake wine, which is purported to 
help your circulation. And it's really for people who are older than 40. At least that's a story they tell the kids when, when they brought out the snake wine. It says, you're not supposed to drink this until you're 40. So, you know, just stop mm. them from wanting that taste. So, you know, we, they bring out these little cordial glasses of snake wine, and we all took a taste, and that's supposed to be really good and healthy. So as a gift for us, my cousin found the people who can find snakes in the mountain, came and literally skinned the snake in front of us and put it in this wine to jar of, of you know, gallons of wine to, to ferment, I guess. And our task was somehow to bring that back from Vietnam to United States. So how do we do that with, you know, I mean, how do you do that? So we had, you know, after it was steeping for about a week, we had to put the snake then in Ziploc bag. And the, 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 the liquor, we had to put in water bottles and then just kind of put it all over our suitcases. And in Vietnam, we also bought these little sculptures that are made out of like used bicycle parts and stuff. You see it in, in different places. But they're like little figurines made out of sprockets and nuts and bolts and stuff. So we bought a few of those. We put them in the luggage. And when they scanned through the x-ray, these sculptures and the snake bones look like they're the same thing. So that's how the snake escaped um, detection by, by the TSA people. So then we brought it back, put everything in the jar, and it has to steep for a year before we can drink it. So we, that's, we have a jar of five snakes in the house <laughs> with liquor in it, yes. I, I enjoy that story a lot. But I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with bringing the snake through. I mean, it's technically a fermented um, item. Well, I don't think you're supposed to bring, like, any food product through um, customs. Oh, I thought it was just, like, f like fruit. But I thought if it was prepackaged, what I suppose well, it is not prepackaged. Yeah, we killed. Yeah, yeah not, <laughs> I know. We skinned it ourselves. Because <laughs> I remember we were worried one year. We were coming back from China, and my mom mm -hmm. had like prepackaged beef jerky. She's like, "Oh, we're not supposed to bring food." And the guy's like, "Oh, as long as it's not like like live food, like fruit, if it's like seal." Yeah. Well, this is. I mean, this is a live snake that has been skinned, and all it did was soak in liquor. So. Technically, it's not even cooked yet, so right. so we had to have it quite sealed to make sure that you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that actually reminds me when I was uh, it was right before I turned three years old. Actually, I was two years old, and I'm actually surprised I remember this because I was so young. Um, it was right before my dad moved to America the year before I came. And he was with my mom's brothers in the backyard, and they started freaking out. And my aunt picks me up and puts me inside the house and, like, shuts the door really quickly. Apparently, there was a very large snake that fell from the tree, oh, and they killed mm -hmm. the snake. And uh, apparently, my dad ripped out the gallbladder because I saw oh, a little yeah. grape in mm -hmm. a shot glass in water. And I was like, yes. Dad, why did you put the grape in the water? He's like, that's not a grape. And he does a shot and, like, drinks it. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, these five snakes, this guy comes in a little moped. And in the back of this moped was a little um, rattan basket. And it says live snake on the outside. So he goes, and, and they're all quite, well, let me think. Um, Three out of the five were poisonous. One of them was a cobra, but it was not the most poisonous in the thing. And he actually had a um, little Band-Aid on his hand, and his hand looked a little bit swollen because he said he was, you know, has been bitten over time, and that's he builds up an immunity to that. But he took it out in um, a pillowcase, and he's, you know, I mean, literally, he slit the snake, skinned them alive in front of us, drained them, the blood took the heart and the gallbladder, put it in the liquor, and that's what they drank that night. So to watch that was just fascinating. You know, we have snippets of videotapes, and the kids were able to, to watch that. So that's a story they'll remember, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of the movie uh, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the same thing happened. Or, yeah, they skinned a snake in front of him mm -hmm. and had him drink the gallbladder. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not something you normally do here, you know? No. no. <laughs> I, uh, I'm wondering if there's any restaurant that offers it. I maybe not. He's Hong, definitely not in here. <laughs> no, Hong Kong. I know they do. They do that yeah. in the street. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw that in Shanghai too. There was like, yeah. um, you know, the lazy Susan. There was like, there were twelve people mm -hmm. at the table, and there was like twelve shot glasses. I'm like, somebody could have mine. It's a beating heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the heart wasn't beating. It was just the no. gallbladder. Apparently, yeah. it is really good for you. So it's supposed to. Yeah. To, to balance, you know, all the body chemistry. Mm -hmm. But um, 
So yes, ladies and gentlemen, when you are in Asia, look for um, snake cuisine. And you know, there's also deep fried snakes, snake yeah. soup, mm-hmm. um, lots of delicacies. But it's not the year of the snake. It is the year of the monkey this year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which uh, brings another, there was another story with the, with the monkeys and, and the, the Dowager Empress mm-hmm. with the, the monkey brain. Did you ever heard of that? Like the Indiana Jones? Similar to that, yeah, the Dowager Empress was known for eating, um, uh, you know, all of these delicacies, she calls it. And the monkeys are raised up high in the mountain, very pampered, you know, fed specific food. And then when it comes time, they're put in this, this is kind of macabre, they put in this chair with this wooden thing over their head and and a knight or a, a, a soldier would have a very sharp sword and slice off the top of their head and their brains are eaten that's how the dowager empress did that yeah while they're alive mm-hmm. yeah oh wow poor monkeys <laughs> i know it's yeah. terrible but yeah the, that's the dowager empress she's known for all of these you know antics I think I just lost my appetite. <laughs> Hopefully I'll regain it before the 20th. Um, but speaking of which, is, is the number 21 significant? Because you said... No, was- no. I think we were just, you know, thinking about kind of, of you know, dishes we want to make easy and stuff like that. So we have all of these salads. Um, like we'll have five different salads. There's you know, one, it's like the, the very common seven bean salad and toss salads with sesame dressing. And there's an Asian style pasta salad, um, lots of kimchi. Um, and then Vietnamese pickle vegetable, gai Um So all of these vegetables are done. So then we think about, you know, kind of appetizers, you know, like the normal things, spring rolls, summer rolls. We'll have Vietnamese bang mi for sure, the entire table filled with Vietnamese bang mi. That's just one of the 21 dishes. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we have um, curry chicken, pork lemongrass, um, noodle, you know, the whole thing. So as we're making our menu... We counted them up, and they're 21. It just happens, you know, it's, I like the number 21, so mm-hmm. that's what I put. Yeah. Number 21, if, like, if you look at the I Ching, it means uh, splitting apart, mm-hmm. but not splitting apart as in falling apart, kind of like, you know, like a seed when it first sprouts. It's right. Apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So new beginnings. You very know? cool. It's a very yep. mm-hmm. auspicious number. Right. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're at the half point of our show. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk some more with Juan. All right. Stepping out of the shadows, feel the sunlight as the wind blows. Your shoulders is a lesson learned as you get older. You thought this day would never come, now the journey's just begun. Just Possibilities are endless. Oh, what lies ahead will be even better than what you left behind forever. It's time to take what you've been told and discover this new road. This new God knows 
fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I'm alive. I'm alive. I feel alive. I know I can reach new heights. Go beyond what others try. I'm alive. I'm alive. I feel gentlemen and welcome back to OCA's Asia Town Voice, the hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides you with an inside look at the Asian American and Pacific Islander Americans community, culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And good evening again, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Yen Tang, also known as DJ Bossy Lady. I'm here interviewing Juan Powell, and I also want to thank um, Johnny Wu, the ghost host, for letting us use his studio and recording equipment. And also a big thank you to WJCU for letting Asia Town Voice use it as its home. So, a quick update of events. Coming up is the Lunar New Year on February 8th. And the Quan Family Lion Dance will be doing a whole host of performances. And on that day in particular, they're going to be performing at the Hathaway Brown Upper School at uh, 19600 North Park Boulevard, Shaker Heights, Ohio. And for a list of events and where they'll perform, you can go to ocagc.org. GC stands for Greater Cleveland. So it's ocagc.org. And also coming up on February 8th, that's a Monday from 5.30 to 7.30, Motivations for Cleveland is having their Lunar New Year dinner at Liwa. You can purchase tickets online by Googling Motivations for Cleveland Liwa Dinner. Um, dinner is about $30 a person, and you need to make reservations. And at the same time during that dinner, uh, the Quan Family Lion Dance will also be performing. They have a very busy Lunar New Year season, so make sure you get your uh, tickets early if you want to catch your spectacular performance. And they are kind of a, a legacy. They are a legacy performing group. It's been passed down um, from generation to generation. They've been a part of Cleveland for over 70 years. So also going on is a Lunar Celebration um, on February 9th at 12 o'clock noon at the John Carroll University located at 1 John Carroll Boulevard and there's going to be name writing calligraphy and various countries will be represented it's going to take place at the LSC atrium again it's at John Carroll University Tuesday February 9th at noon at the LSC atrium and it looks like this is a free event okay and also don't forget the Asian American Catholics diversity within diversity with Dr. Jonathan Tan is going to be taking place at Case Western Reserve University on Thursday, February 11th at 7.30 p.m. For further details, you can go to ocagc.org. Um, more Quan Family Lion Dance performances, and I'm going to skip ahead because there's a whole lot of things going on, lots of book signings, lots of uh, Lunar New Year events. Um, the Westlake Lunar New Year event is going to take place on Saturday, February 13th from 5 to 9 p.m., um, Quan Family Lion Dance the same day will be at the Golden Dragon Restaurant. And 
that we just talked about the February 20th uh, Taste of Asia event that Juan is here to talk about. Um, we'll ask her more, uh, like uh, the type of performances that are there. And don't forget, that is going to be on February 20th from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. 5 to 9. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying off the top of my head. And also the same day, earlier in the day, February 20th, the um, Confucius Institute at Cleveland State is having their Lunar New Year event from 1.30 to 4.30. And I believe that is in the main, no, not main classroom building. It's in the student center. Nope, main classroom building. That one's in the main classroom building. Okie dokie. All right, so Juan, um, tell us a little bit more about what type of performances besides the fashion, the violin that we can expect at this February 20th event. I you know, believe they're going to have a, um, a lion dance, um, and from what I understand, he's going to try and do a, a, a modern version. The Kwan, is, the Kwan family is well, well known for their beautiful traditional lion dance routine, so he wanted to do something different. So they're going to try and add some hip-hop to it, some kind of a young um, twist to, to the lion dance. So that'll you know, be an interesting you know, beginning to, to the um, entertainment portion of the show. We have a few people who are going to be singing um, traditional songs in Vietnamese. Um, and, you know, it's going to be a real short um, performance. Um, and the fashion show, I believe we have people, little kids, um, teenagers and older people, you know, tra you know tra with traditional clothing coming through. So we just want to um, highlight uh, the Aozai, of course, is the traditional Vietnamese um, women's dress. There are so many different versions, different styles, and, and it has become very iconic, not only, you know, for, for women um, in Vietnam. When you think of Vietnamese women, you see these demure um, Aozai with, you know, the straw hats and so on. But it has become more of a fashion statement now where there are many, many designers who are designing these Aozai in different colors, different fabric, different neck cuts and so on, um, much more modern and, and you know you see that um, as a matter of fact recently with um, Miss World, Miss Vietnam wore a traditional Vietnamese outside that are that is just gorgeous. You have to see it in pictures to to was appreciate it, it. It's just beautiful. So was it the gold uh, one? Um, this year she had the gold and black, and she, the, there's an all black with gold and then all white. There are two versions with the oh, wow. huge headpiece. It's beautiful. Yeah. What is what is the headpiece called? Well, it's the headpiece traditionally was um, worn by brides, but now again, you know, that the culture has is changing so be, to be less traditional. So the headpiece now is worn by any any young lady or older lady, you know, wearing that. So. Um, you know, that's used to be all gold. Now it's all different colors and um, fabric and so on. And um, the men, it's called kandong. Um, so the men wear it, and it's less um, elaborate than the women's. I remember because um, your son had a little one that one of my dance students' little brother wore. Little. It fit him perfectly. <laughs> little tiny, yeah, little, little blue it's one. Yeah, it's cute. A six-year-old, right? Yeah, yeah, little one, yeah. <laughs> And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to check out the pictures of what we're talking about, there's plenty of them you can scroll through on the um, Cleveland Asian Festival Facebook site. Um, there's a lot of little uh, fashion show tidbits from previous years. And we have to get some of your outfits at the Cleveland Asian Festival. We are, are, Do they belong to Yawa? Yeah, most of them belong to the ones that we you saw at um, One World Day belong to Yawa and her sister. I mean, the whole family has, I would say, hundreds of those you know, traditional costumes. It's just finding the right size for everybody, it's hard, yeah. Right, I did she see that. She has them, many. Mm -hmm. But they look really expensive, and that's why I've always been afraid, and, you know. If very get... elaborate, yeah. Uh, sequins yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, very elaborate. Because, I mean, if, if um, cause all our models are volunteers, and if they damage mm -hmm. it, it's going right. to be exposed to damage. <laughs> right, So right. maybe we can have them So that's why you and I have been <laughs> providing our own clothes. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, I try to encourage the models to bring their own clothes, and, like, the clothes that they don't bring are usually my polyester versions of the yeah. traditional costume, which is a lot cheaper to fix. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, no, she has, like, the traditional oh, very yes. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we can talk to her. Yeah. And... Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, another event, the Cleveland Asian Festival. Ooh, it's kind of early, but it's coming May 21st and May 22nd. And uh, while we're early, let's also mention Cleveland One World Day. It's going to be on August 28th, the Sunday, and it's going to be at the Cleveland Cultural Garden. So hope to see you at both of those. Um, but, yeah, speaking of the Cleveland Cultural Gardens, what do you guys have planned this year? Our, our own garden or, or overall? 
sorry, I, let me be for for uh, for One World Day. Are you planning to do like a, a show, or is it just the parade? And last year, I heard a lot of great things the about the food. Vietnamese the the food. food, yeah. Well, I mean, we we will participate in One World Day as always. Um, we will have food at our site, of course. Um, the parade um, this year being the garden's 100th anniversary and. Um, the RNC being in Cleveland, we would like to have more of a presence um, in the garden. As you know, we just got the plot of land um, designated to us last year. When you drive by, you won't even know that it's a Vietnamese garden because there's no flag, no sign, or anything like that. So by April or May, we would like to have um, th those in place, broken ground, to do something, you know, even if it's a little plot of land with flowers in place just to say that here we are, this is our plot of land, you know, we're so proud of having a, a presence there that we want the, the rest of, you know, people who are coming to Cleveland for the RNC to, um, to celebrate that with us also. So we'll have a flagpole and the, the sign that says Vietnamese Cultural Garden right there. And then we're in the process of doing um, architectural design drawings um, to have to go through the process of getting that approved by the federation and then the city um, to have and then fundraising to make that happen there'll be you know like most of the other gardens um, happening in several phases instead of all in one phase it's going to cost quite a bit of money and so we'll mm -hmm. be working hard to fundraise for that are you going to put in any water uh, features like a pond um you know it's ponds are hard to upkeep um, yeah. in, in this weather. Um, I know the Italian garden has your beautiful fountain, beautiful fountain that, that you know, needs to be repaired on a regular basis. Um, you know, the, the Russian garden, for instance, across the street, it's very lucky because Doan Brook is right behind there so they can use that as part of their um, water features. But um, we may, you know, water is so important to, to Vietnam. We may mm -hmm. do it, um, but not in physical, you know, maybe in, on another representation of water, maybe some stone to represent that or something. Mm -hmm. Like a really, uh, like an intricate carving with like flowing kind of Right. Or, or, you know, or using um, fine gravels in place, like a dry river bed oh. or something like that. Oh. We don't know yet. We'll, we'll wait for the, to draw that together. So what is the Vietnamese national flower? We don't have any. <gasps> really? We don't have any. There are so many, like be, North North and South Vietnam are very different in temperature. Um, so the flowers that grow well in South Vietnam may not be the ones that, that are iconic mm. up north. So there are, I mean, it's such a um, temperate country. There are lots. And when you go to Vietnam, the biggest thing people talk about is the fresh fruit and fresh flowers that they see. So it's a very temperate country. So you see lots and lots of that. So there's oh. not there's no one that it's iconic of Vietnam. Although in the for New Year's, what you see um, is a lot of these yellow flowers. They're they're um, we call them hoa mai, the yellow flowers, um, and they are um, kumquat blossoms, um, peach mm -hmm. blossoms. Those are really popular in the spring because that's very iconic of of that date in Vietnam. Oh, uh, the yellow flowers. Is it forsythia? No, it's no? it. The branches look like that, but the flowers are very different. Um, okay. They're actually peach blossoms. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I see the fake ones sold at the um, a lot of the Asian stores. They mm -hmm. carry the, the plastic ones because my mom told me it's, it's really nice to have flowers in your house, and it's mm -hmm. even better when they're plastic and you don't have to worry about watering <laughs> right, them all the right. time. Yeah. So you just <laughs> have to dust them once in a while. Yeah, yeah. take them outside and shake them around. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, well, okay, if, if one were to go to Vietnam, let's say right now in mm -hmm. early slash late winter, what, what can we expect to see? Well, right now we're in the midst of prep preparing for, for the New Year's. So the, the weeks before leading up to um, New Year's Eve, which happens to be February 7th this year, you're going to see a lot of cooking activity and cleaning because we want to do all the cleaning before the first of the year. On the first of the year, you do not clean because that's just bad luck. It means that if you sweep and vacuum, it means that money is going out the door. So you want to do all of that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, parents, you know, would cook these um, beng chung, which is representation of the earth, the flat earth, um, and, you know, teach kids and you know, their children how to do it, to pass on that tradition, um, buying gifts. And then on New Year's Eve, um, the first person that walks through your house after midnight has to be of somebody that you respect, that has 
um, great stature um, within the community and great karma. Um, and when they go through your door, it means that they're blessing your house. So, you know, if you have a, um, a black sheep in the family, don't invite them first thing in the family <laughs> on, on New Year's Day. So you have to think about all those things. And then there are certain traditions that, that we do, like the first day of the year, we have to give homage and blessing to usually the, the paternal side of the family, the father side of the family. Then on the second day, you do the same, pay homage to the mother side of the family. And then the third day, we visit teachers. And teachers are very, very important in Asian cultures. They're very revered. They're equal to your parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I know a lot of my families um, are teachers in Vietnam. And it's a, you know, that, you know, we, people get married and who do they invite? They invite their teachers. Mm -hmm. um, they come, they go away and work away in big cities. They come home, they go and visit their teachers. It's part of their responsibility, just like they're visiting their parents and aunts and uncles. So that's what we do on the third day. That, yeah, actually, I remember that. My, um, my, my aunt is a professor, and her husband was the assistant dean um, at one of the universities. And when it's New Year's, like, they pretty much never shut their door. It was yeah. like they had so many it's, other students Yeah, coming. students coming through the door and, and give, yeah, bringing them gifts. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great respect. And, you know, that's, to me, it's the profession for, for Asians to be. I mean, doctors and lawyers are okay, but if you're a teacher, that's... Mm -hmm. You know, that's top notch. <laughs> if you think about it, there's a lot of responsibility in making sure how a child turns out, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. sometimes if they don't listen to their parent who teaches them about you know, social rules, you, right. the teachers are to teach them the rest of it or to catch it. Right. At least in Asian culture, I mean, the teachers yeah. <laughs> teach more than just the academics. They are there to mold the person and, and pass that on. So, And it is expected of that profession there. Um, yeah. so. And I, I know a lot of wonderful teachers who do that in this country, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. unfortunate they don't get the same amount of recognition. No, no, no respect. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know. Um, yeah. I remember uh, I, there was uh, one of my classmates used to bring our teacher in second grade an apple all the time, so... <laughs> but my, our teacher was a little bit old-fashioned, but, you know, you don't you don't see that anymore. Now it's like, here, I just, I did my homework, now grade it, and let yeah. me get out of school, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> school could be a lot more fun. Yeah. But do you have any exciting stories to tell us about um, your visits back to Vietnam? Um, you know, it's my visit um, was after 35 years of being here. We, we came over in 1975, so we had not been back to Vietnam until 2000, so 35 years later. A lot has changed um, since we left, but um, I actually went back to where I grew up, the city and the schools and so on, just to see if I can recognize the places. And much has changed. I mean, it's it's a very, it's Saigon in the South, it's a very um, upscale country now, a lot of things going on that are, you know, modern, big buildings being built. But still, when you go back to the little country, you know, the little um, side streets, much are still the same. I can still recognize the little roads, you know, going to places. But the biggest change that I see. And my, my house used to be just two floors, but there, there is no extra land to build. So all of these houses, if they want to build onto their house, they go up. And there, it is not uncommon for houses to be five stories, six, seven stories. They just go straight up. So it's unrecognizable in that sense. You know, these two-story houses are no longer that. And you see these tall, um, you know, skinny houses going up. And so, you know, that has changed quite a bit. But so I was saying, Johan. Oh, yeah. How does that work? Is it like the kitchen on the first floor, and then living space on the second floor, and bedrooms on the third floor? Bedrooms. Um, well, most houses have um, living spaces, kitchen, all on the first floor. Um, okay. Maybe a bathroom on the first floor, and then second, third, and going up, they're all bedrooms. Um, if if you have extra money to build higher, usually some you know the the fifth floor, the, the top floor would be designated toward a shrine of some kind. Uh, mm -hmm. One side, you know, one half maybe towards your ancestors. Um, and it's not really worshipping, but it's more like paying homage to your ancestors. And the other side may be, depending on what religion you are, most of the time it's Buddhism. Um, so they may have a space to meditate, to pray, um, and a little altar for that. So that's the top floor. That's that's really fascinating. Because, yeah. um, you know, in chi Chinese culture, I know that there's always, like, a little shrine somewhere, at least, you know, in the older mm -hmm. um, 
like my my older aunts and uncles they have like a little shrine there and it is just to have a, a respect for your ancestors to give mm -hmm. them a place in your house right but it, you know it's actually funny yesterday i was looking over the uh, Taoist pre precepts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the, <laughs> the basic nine precepts versus the highest nine uh -huh. and I read one. I was thinking here. I, I opened the page. Oh, in the basic nine precepts, it says, do not pray or sacrifice to demons or spirits of the dead. So then it got me thinking. Right. Are we, are, are the we ancestor worshiping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, ancestor worship. Is that praying to spirits of the dead or is that is that something else? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I believe, you know, believe that when, when you pass on, your spirits stay behind. And, and we subconsciously or consciously, either way, pray when you send up a prayer, you pray for your parents. It's like, you know, just watch over us and so on. Not necessarily to their spirit, but I think the altar in the Asian homes, especially to the ancestor, is just a way to to pay respect on a, <clears throat> on a daily basis, that recognizing what they have given to us, and then, you know, look at them every day and say, hey, I appreciate and recognize what you've done for us. So it's really not worshiping and it's not um, praying to their spirit, it's just knowing that they have a lasting impression and a lasting legacy. I, I like that much better. Because, you know, now that I think about it, spirits of the dead is, is kind of a general term, and it didn't say anything in particular about um, respect to... Oh, actually, did it say? I'm looking over it right now. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to read this really quickly. There's only 27 of them, and they're very short. Mm -hmm. So the basic nine precepts are, do not strongly pursue riches and honor if you happen to be poor and humble. Do not do evil. Do not set yourself too many taboos and avoidances. Do not pray or sacrifice to demons or spirits of the dead. Do not strongly oppose anyone. Do not consider yourself always right. See, I'm guilty of that one. <laughs> <laughs> do, <laughs> do not quarrel with others over what is right and wrong. If you get into a debate, be the first to concede. <laughs> I think some presidential candidates could learn from that one. Right, right. Um, do not praise yourself as a sage of great fame. Do not take delight in soldiering. The middle nine precepts are, do not study false texts. Do not covet high glory or vigorously strive for it. Do not pursue fame and praise. Do not do things pleasurable to ears, eyes, or mouth. Always remain modest and humble. Do not engage in frivolous undertakings. Always be devout in religious service of respectful mind and without confusion. Do not indulge yourself with fancy garb or tasty food. And do not extend yourself. And last but not least, the highest nine precepts. Do not delight in excess, since joy is as harmful as anger. Do not waste your essence or chi. Do not harm the dominant chi. Do not eat beings that contain blood to delight in their fancy taste. I guess the Dowager Empress should probably uh, take <laughs> a page out of this. <laughs> do not hanker after merit and fame. Do not explain the teaching or name Tao to outsiders. Do not neglect the divine law, law of Tao. Do not try to set things in motion and do not speak or speak, do not kill or speak about killing. So, yeah. yep, nothing in there about, uh, about worshiping the dead spirits, huh? Yeah, well, well uh, ancestor worship. Because I expect that there should be some, something in there about honoring your parents and that's mm -hmm. what I was looking for but only the thing about worshipping dead spirits which I guess that you're not really worshipping you know mm -hmm. your dead ancestors it's, it is more of just an acknowledgement and sense of respect you're not asking for because it says sacrifice it says don't sacrifice right demons. yeah Although I'm really surprised they're not to demons. That. <laughs> yeah they're well, not well one of the middle precepts was something about do not indulge in something that's pleasure to the mouth eyes or ears remember that mm -hmm. that's kind of odd that, I think that's it's like uh, yeah, that's okay. true. I I think what they're what they're trying to say is don't rely so much on earthly pleasure mm -hmm. okay. um, to to kind of keep it simple because you know you know it's kind of like um, eat to live, don't live to right. eat. The aesthetics, like to, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. or to like I don't know, admire beautiful things so much that you forget what's really important. Mm -hmm. Okay, and ears, it's like um, being ignorant for the sake of the convenience mm -hmm. instead of knowing the truth. So. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I think about it. Mm -hmm. The one that I thought was very odd was, uh, do not explain the teachings or name Tao to outsiders. But then out, after some thought, you know, it's I guess it's because it's not telling you not to teach it, but saying right. that it's kind of like save your breath because it's something right. every individual. It's like preaching. Yeah, it's very, very personal. And, you know, when I start talking about religions to, to outsider, it's very hard because it's extremely personal. And I don't want to convince anybody of anything mm -hmm. differently. It's something they have to come to on their own. So I get that. 
So would you be mad if I asked you what religion you practice? <laughs> well, Buddhism, but again, you know, Buddhism has no um, deity. I mean, there's no God. So, you know, I have gone to church many for many, many years. I've gone to a Lutheran church, you know, study the Bible. But if I have to say anything, I would say Buddhist. Actually, my mother was a Buddhist nun before she passed. Oh. And again, it's a nun in, in that sense. After my father passed, um, she had more time to devote into her spiritual growth. So she decided that's what she wanted to do. So she spent a lot of time studying the religion, um, studying all the precepts, you know, the concepts, the, the ceremonies, and, and um, got to the point where she was allowed to, to her had to be shaved. You have to reach a certain point where you know, her teacher um, allowed her to shave her head and become a Buddhist nun. So there's a rank and hierarchy there. But, you know, that's, um, that's a lot of the path of, of Vietnamese women take after their husband pass, they go and devote their lives to, to their religion, which is Buddhism in this case, um, and become nuns. That's actually very beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's a great way to spend the rest of your days. Right. And, what, and, and Buddhists believe that in um, doing goods, either through charity or, or praying for others is also another way of doing good. The more you do of that, you not only help yourself, but you leave um, good karma for the generation after that. So, the more, so that's why you see a lot of um, temples spend a lot of time praying and, and saying the scriptures and so on because they're, sending, they're doing that for the goods of others. Um, so you, only, you, you learn the scripture for yourself and you pray for others. And a lot of the, the um, Christian sects do that, too. A lot of the, the um, Carmelite nuns do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's a common theme, I suppose, in, in religions. So by prayer, is it... Um, I actually, you know, the only prayer I'm used to is what... I, I did go to a private school for first grade, and mm -hmm. they're pretty much just memorized on um, very simple prayers that you repeat and then you would give a short thanks to something before you would eat or before you start your day. Mm -hmm. Now I know that in um, Catholic religions there's uh, there's there's certain prayers that that you would say for something different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm the the Buddhists have long scriptures that you have to memorize and there's so many for different um, occasions and different purposes and you know, everything you do, it's its a, almost a meditative thing. And my mother used to have these little prayers written on little index cards, and she would put one right above the kitchen, and that, you know, is a prayer yeah. that you say to yourself while you're preparing dinner. And it has something to do with, you know, I do this out of love for my family. So it's just a constant reminder. And then, you know, if it's um, in the bathroom, you know, it talks about cleanliness and so on to, you know, to... You know, how whole, not holy, but how fresh it is to be clean and so on, to be thankful for water, to be able to do that. So she would have these little index cards all over the house, and you would sit there and, and you know, read that. And it just brings you back to what's important. So, you know, it's almost that mindfulness, you know, uh, teaching of being mindful of what you're doing right now. So all of these cards in different places brings you back to what's important. And so, um, and there are, I call them scriptures, but they're really just um, sayings, you know, short, verse, short verses that you would um, repeat to yourself in your mind just to make sure you appreciate what's, what you're doing at, at the moment. That is very true. I've been telling myself I need to live more in the moment. And I might start, maybe not prayer cards, but I'll probably put little one-liners everywhere around the house. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes... And I think some other people are too, is they get so much into trying to solve a problem uh, for work or their daily life that that's what you think about and, mm -hmm. and while you're trying to do something else instead of really being in the moment. But mm -hmm. if you're focusing on like a very simple line or a scripture or a mm -hmm. prayer. Just four really lines. Yeah, little haiku, you know, kind of stuff. But I mean, that's a daily practice. And I think that's that's the core of any religion It's just... You know, you do this, and it brings you back to what's important, no matter what religion you are. Um, to to just not dwell in something that you can't control, um, and then just you know, do that. So I think that you know those little cards. I mean, may, I don't care if it's Buddhist or whatever. It's helpful in that sense. Little sayings around the house. So is most is um, Buddhism the primary religion in Vietnam? 
I think the majority of people are Buddhist. Yeah. No. I think mm-hmm. eight I think the last number I saw was somewhere between eighty and eighty five. Although Percent? technically yes. The, technically oh, wow. Vietnam is now communist, so the practice of that is really not um you know, as prevalent anymore. You know, any communist country that's not something that they promote, even though that religion is there, you know. But you know, it's such a part of the culture though. Can they really get rid of it? They can get rid of they, they can control the practice of it out you know oh. formal practice you can always do it in your house, um, but the formal practice is not supported much by the government anymore mm-hmm. see, I wanted to know more about Shinto because it seems to be primarily a, a Japanese religion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to find somebody and bring them in here and ask them yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shinto Taoism, well, even Buddhism they're all way of life they're not necessarily because mm-hmm. there's no god no deity or anything like that so those are great great uh, yeah. religions to learn about yeah yeah and it says don't worship false idols and, well, and false wait what does it say <laughs> hold on time to pull this book out again do not study false texts false texts okay mm-hmm yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are nearing the top of our hour, so we're going to ask you the, qu- the two questions we ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Asian dish, and will you cook it for us? Uh-huh. Since I'm the only one who did the interview. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one the- My favorite <laughs> to cook is the traditional Vietnamese um, soup, pho. Easy, uh, you know, to get on the table, very fast, and it's just great comfort food, so that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, I, and I'll cook it for you. <laughs> Yeah, but what about like to eat? Is it the same? Yes, I mean if I'm stressed or I, you know, it, that's my go-to dish right there. That's wonderful. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I ever had. I um, in college I dated a young man who was half Vietnamese and half mm-hmm. Chinese, mm-hmm. and his mom made pho all the time. Mm-hmm. It was great. And yeah, I, I do it once I, <laughs> at least once a week. Yes. I had to say when I broke up, I miss his mom. <laughs> Yes. I hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can well, come on to the 20th, and then you get all that again. Well, except pho. We won't be cooking cooked there. No soup there, but bang me for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. Aaron's favorite. Um, my, my husband, Aaron, he likes that, and he also likes the vermicelli noodles with the, the pork, the dry mm-hmm. noodles. Yes. Um, with the pork and the spring roll and the, um, the cucumbers. Like, yes, the boon. Uh-huh. How do you do you marinate the cucumbers or how do you No, get that? no, it's the sauce that you add to it that you get the flavor, but the cucumber is cut fresh. That's wonderful. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'm hungry again after all that talk earlier about the snake and the gallbladder and the <laughs> so, Well, uh, thank you so much for coming in and letting us do this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we'll see you soon before the 20th and mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to OCA's Asia Town Voice on 88.7 FM radio. We hope to catch you back here next week. See ya. So